0: Listener Production.
1: This episode was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Before we get started, just a quick warning this episode discusses sexual harassment and assault. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, the founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn, and lead. In this episode, I want to share with you an insightful panel discussion recorded at our Leadership Summit in March 2021. The focus of the panel, moderated by media executive Lizzie Young, was toxic workplaces. We've all been there. On the panel is Sex Discrimination Commissioner at the Australian Human Rights Commission, Kate Jenkins, Healthcare Leadership and Change Agent at the Freebird Group, Dr. Tanya Pelly, and Sanjita Van Katterson, Executive Chair at Fairvine Super. So let's jump straight into it. Here's Lizzie Young.
0: When we all got together initially, we very much wanted to start with the positive. So, to kick us off, Kate, I'm going to come to you. You do a lot of work in this area. It would be great if you could just summarise what the foundations of workplace culture should look like so that toxicity can't rise to the surface.
2: In answering that question, I'll draw on respect at work. So that was the report that was published in March of 2020. It was the 18-month inquiry on Australian workplaces, specifically looking at our experience of sexual harassment. But ultimately the conversations about safe and respectful workplaces do often end up, and in the current moment, looking at sexual harassment, sexual assault and bullying in particular as the experience of too many people in our workplaces. So it was a pretty substantial report and there are a lot of Recommendations, but I guess if you go at the really top level, both what are the drivers of toxicity, and that language wasn't used at all in our report, but given it's our topic, we're going with it. Um, but also, what what is a safe workplace? Uh, we definitely found that the key driver of sexual harassment were power disparities, and there is still that existence of gender inequality as a key power disparity remains. The recommendations we had really recognised that employers in particular needed to have a much bigger focus on this as a workplace health and safety issue. So the recognition has been over time in Australia we've had huge progress on the physical safety but when it comes to workplace conflict or issues that people have, it's often a question of what did you do and it's treated very individually and it kind of turns into an investigation. And so our finding was that workplaces really haven't up until now recognised that these cultures actually are not about a few bad people, it's about the broader environment and some of the key factors to reduce issues of bullying and harassment is how the leadership engage, the amount of priority they place on this issue, and really treating it as a systemic issue, understanding where the risk factors are, and understanding that power disparity is a big driver. So, those are some of the key themes. There is a ton in there, but that might sort of kick us off.
0: So, Sanjita, from your perspective, When we find ourselves in that situation and things are going wrong and we don't have the right environment, what do we do?
3: I would perhaps look at it in two ways. As an employee where you are being impacted vis-a-vis as an employer if you see a culture that is not conducive to productivity. So going back to what Kate mentioned, sexual harassment, racial harassment... And then perhaps even talking about dysfunctional reigns, where lack of communication results in bad politics, bad competition. When I think of as an employee, given I have experienced certain issues, both in terms of sexism as well as dysfunctional reigns, one of the first things I would say is self-assessment to really understand what exactly are you going through? Is this really toxic in the way it is meant to be? Or perhaps, is it something i can do to fix that personally i have a few examples i'll come to that the second thing i feel is really as an employee to have a good circle of people who you trust and one of the banks i worked with this was a big focus and we were always asked do you have a best friend at work we spend so much time at work i guess in addition to spending time with your family, uh, you're spending more time at work and talking to your colleagues than anybody else. So you need to have a friend at work with whom you can talk about anything and everything. And then it's really about focusing on work-life balance because for most of us, work is so important that we don't think beyond work and if things don't go well at work, we feel our life has come to an end and it starts impacting our personal life and it starts impacting our health, our productivity, our self-esteem. So having a really focused work-life balance has helped me and has helped a lot of my colleagues. And I can't emphasize enough the need to document what you're going through, if you're going through toxic workplaces. And perhaps the worst thing would be plan an exit strategy, get out of there, if it's beginning to impact you so much that it's impacting your entire being. On a positive note, I would like to say something where I may have been in the wrong as well. So there are times we blame our work culture for being toxic. But there has been one instance where I was thinking the workplace that I was working in is extremely toxic because my manager wasn't really supporting me. And after a lot of self-assessment, and that's why I emphasize self-assessment, I realized that I was making him insecure I was trying to get the job done to make him look good without telling him that. And he started thinking that I'm taking work away from him to make myself look good. So again, this is where A team hires A team, sometimes B teams hire Bs and Cs. So without going into too much detail, I realized that if my manager is that insecure, maybe I could do something to make him feel better. So I overcommunicated. I Spent a lot of time with him. And I used to find every chance to go to his office on Mondays or Wednesdays to give him an update. And I was surprised how things turned around dramatically. And he became my biggest supporter and he pushed me for promotion. So on a positive note, yes, there are issues, but I think sometimes you can convert that to your benefit too.
0: And so one of the, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in this. But one of the, the topics that you just scooted through quickly, which I want to throw to Tanya, is the piece around when this starts to impact your health. And I think self-assessment is a really interesting concept in that context. But Tanya, I guess your perspective on what the ramification of this can be on an individual.
4: Yeah, thanks, Lizzie. When I think about wellbeing uh, in the workplace, the main way I think about it is about our psychological well-being. And we have just, just like a toxic physical environment can cause you physical harm, a toxic psychological environment can cause you psychological harm. If something toxic causes you harm, you know, there's sort of the obvious example of toxicity, which is some poison that, that you might consume where you can just see the immediate impact. But some workplaces, the toxicity is is more like a sort of colorless gas, if you like, that's sort of seeping through the place. And it's created by the behaviors of the people around us. And that's what culture is. I often struggle to think about how do you define culture and the most simple way I found to define it and relate to it and try to improve it over time has been to define it as the behaviour that we see and the way people talk and interact with each other. If you can see that, you watch how that happens and you can see what the culture is in a particular place. Um, that culture comes from leadership. Leadership definitely sets the tone and the impact of that on our psychological well-being might be something that we don't even realise for a long time. If we're in an environment where the control, the locus of control, where the control comes from is outside of us, we will experience psychological ill-being. We need to be competent, we need to feel a sense of belonging in our workplace, and we need a degree of autonomy. That doesn't mean we can do whatever we like whenever we want to, but autonomy has been shown in the research to be such a critical component. That feeling that I do have control meaningful choices can be made by me about how I do my work and if I don't have that then I will suffer potentially serious impacts of mental illness, depression, anxiety.
0: And so as a sort of I guess a takeaway and I'm going to ask each of you but Tanya I'll just start with you. One thing that people can do to address that insidiousness going through the air that you almost can't put your finger on, what's one thing you can do to
4: combat it? The first thing is to see it, and that can be difficult. I found in my own experience, I didn't recognise it in myself first, but I saw its impact on other people. But that led me then to question, is there something in this environment that's having this impact on others? And then that notion of realising we're not alone in this and realising perhaps sharing a story and I experienced burnout in my medical career, I was so frightened to talk to anyone about it because I thought, I was quite junior, and I thought I would be judged really harshly as just not being able to handle it. As soon as I named it and told someone, the reaction was overwhelmingly positive. I was so supported. And does that go to Zanjita's best
0: friend at work concept and finding that person and and how you identify that person?
3: Absolutely. because again, going back to what Tanya is saying, if it starts impacting your physical health and well-being, morale, self-esteem, having the right people at work to whom you can confide in and perhaps they can open a circle of trust and which can then travel through the right channels to try and change things. And Kate?
2: I guess my response to this conversation is if you are struggling at work, my experience is the first and foremost thing that um, I would encourage you to do is get the support you need. Many employers have an employee assistance program. It truly is independent. Go to them. Just get the help you need, understand what's going on. I'm really supportive of the HR function, um, but obviously this conversation's going, you know, if you go there, they've got multiple priorities in terms of what they're trying to achieve. So my first thing would be that if you're struggling, even if it's not, you know, it's because of your place, get the help because actually in the long term, that's the most important thing. And then sometimes we haven't got to it. Um, but I'm sure we'll get to. Sometimes when I've been at these sessions and women stand up and this is happening, sometimes I'm like, it sounds like that's a really bad workplace and it's not right, it's not fair, it's not just,
0: but I'd get out of there. Excellent comments from everyone so far. When it is too much and it's going to break you and you have to make that decision to go and saying, Geeta, I think I might come back to you on this. How do you work through that? What are the steps you go through and when is that right time to make that call?
3: Sure, Um, yes, it is a top-down approach and culture starts from the top. And if the culture has permeated throughout, through all levels where you feel that going to work every morning, getting up every morning, makes you feel pain and makes you sick and you, you can't be doing that day in and day out. There comes a time where you can't seek help internally, through the right channels or through informal channels, it is time to plan an exit strategy. And I, I will talk about a couple of employers that I have worked with, if you don't mind, where I have seen things go both way, and this is to do with racism and sexism. And I worked with two investment banks, and they dealt with it so differently. One of them there was a lot of issues in terms of men getting together and taking clients out. Women were completely not involved in that. It got to a stage where it went to the leadership and leadership took a stance and they went really hard. They There was a policy that was announced that if the women in the firm don't like the way a man looks at them, which is really extreme, or the way a man was treating them, they have the ability or they have the empowerment to go right to HR and make a complaint and something would be done about it. This was extreme, however, it worked. When the policy was released, all of us were shocked, men and women equally, because if someone doesn't like the way I look, I will be reported in a sense if I'm a man. So men started making fun of it and saying, we're gonna look down and walk because if you don't like the way I look at you, you're gonna complain. But it actually worked. In eight months, the workplace was completely different. So it did work. And then things became back to normal in terms of you didn't need that kind of policy anymore because the workplace was more conducive. But you needed the, the radical... There had to be a clear message sent through that this will not be tolerated. On the other hand, there was another workplace where this was mentioned and brought up again and again. And whilst the senior leadership team where there were women were treated differently. When it came to the junior most people, even in interviews, the questions they were asked, the way they were asked to dress up, it just wasn't acceptable. And you could see there was no change gonna happen because the leadership just turned a blind eye towards that. And the focus was more about let's make revenue. If you're making money, you get paid, you get promoted. We don't care about how you behave with your employees.
1: Hi, Helen again, just jumping in to reinforce how important this discussion is. The entire panel emphasised that the most important part of dealing with a toxic workplace is to make sure you take care of yourself and get the support you need. Now, the next part of the panel caused a bit of a stir in the room, as our moderator Lizzie turned her focus from discussing toxic workplaces to what ended up being a bit of a controversial question on how important it is to be a woman who helps other women.
0: Back to Lizzie. So I just want to pivot slightly, uh, this may be slightly controversial in the room but I think it's worth talking about. Everyone will be familiar with Madeleine Albright who said there is a special place in hell for women who don't help other women and women who have ascended the ladder and then pulled it up after them and have not demonstrated or exhibited the behaviours that we would all hope which is you know, I think we all agree, and we all need to be the voice that demands change all the way through. And there is definitely an onus on the older generations to get it done for the younger generations. And who can believe we're still here? What do you say to the audience about the way to combat that behaviour if they see it, Sanjita? Over to you, because you said, "Oh wow." <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, that's that's a tough one. Um... In my experience, I've seen two types of women, women who adopt the queen bee mentality and the women who are extremely generous with their time and they lead with authenticity and they, they are very supportive. I think a lot has changed. And today there is a lot more focus on support system. And the more you support, the more you grow collectively. Um, and I have seen a positive change definitely in the last five years.
2: Can- can I, I guess I have I have got thoughts on this. I am really concerned by this conversation about women not supporting women when I suspect most of the people in this room and anyone who's signed up to Future Women will have the exact opposite experience. Some of you will know Kirsten Ferguson's book, Women Kind, that was all about women supporting women. I, I guess my comment is this conversation, there's a few reasons why this happens. Firstly, a lot of the women who have got ahead have done it so hard, so harder than I will ever be able to imagine. And in a world where they said there's one place for a woman. So there is a particular structure that the men have set up that put the women in competition with each other. And a lot of women in senior roles have had to survive in that and you will all know and I absolutely believe it to be true, that a lot of women who've got there are twice as good as the men because you've got to both be good at the job but you've also got to navigate a world that doesn't want you there and those are quite sophisticated skills. This conversation, we don't look at men and say, you know, that man doesn't support all men. Like why do we expect every woman to support every woman? So my comment is by and large I think that we shouldn't expect the same thing. I don't think, and I know you didn't mean it this way, there's not two kinds of women, the women who are for women and the women who are against. I actually think that the culture in the world is changing and just having more women and more diversity at the top. So I just, my main response is just be careful in going into this conversation because I feel like we're feeding something that's delivering people as an easy way to say, you know, well, kind of she's not a woman who helps other women. But I do like Madeleine Albright, so I'm not questioning her, her quote. Nice. It's a
0: great... And it's I think great, it's it is a really interesting point and that's why I said it could be controversial because has, has the time changed? Are we moving the conversation on? And in other areas, it feels like it is taking a long time. But if we feel like that conversation has moved on, then that is a positive for for everyone. I'd
2: also say I've seen a lot of senior women who actually then look back and say, I realise I didn't do enough. So I've done some work on women in leadership and, you know, I do work for the Defence Force and when I've worked there, when I started, all the chiefs of the different services kept saying, we really know that, you know, it's important we've got role models but the women are really reluctant to be in the spotlight and can you tell us how we can make them comfortable in the spotlight? And so I said to them, okay, before I do that, can I just do a sort of a bit of work? So I met with, both within Defence and outside, about 20 women and I talked to them about their experience. And by and large, they said, we're prepared to do it, but it never goes well for us. We get, you know, our male colleagues get pissed off that we're getting credit. Uh, it's hard enough as it is. If we fail, our failures are amplified but yes, we're happy to do it to help the women down the line, but otherwise it's a, it's a net negative for us in terms of career. So some of them said, uh, they described their career in three phases, but most of them in the most senior phase had come around to, we wanna help women. But they pretty much all said, we probably didn't look really positive. So they say the first in, in defense, like in army, the first you're just trying to prove that you can survive. You can do the physical stuff, you're just as good. So that's survival mode, your biggest survival mode is getting along with the blokes. So the worst thing you can do is make a stand out separate from the blokes. They said the second part, the next 10 years, you're having children and you're just trying to survive. And again, all the blokes don't have, so you're doing all the things. So that's a survival phase. And the third phase, when you have got more elevated, that's kind of when you're starting to think, oh, how can, you know, those... How can I
0: support? Yeah, how can I support? And I actually don't think that's any different in corporate Australia. I agree, I agree. You know, great parallels to exactly how defence or or the army would be. It's, you know, very much the the same phases. Okay, questions from the floor.
1: As everyone knows, there's a virtual summit running in parallel with this and we have a question that's come through from the virtual side of things. If I can go first. The question is, where do you draw the line between it being genuinely worthwhile trying to change toxic work
4: environments or the need to just cut and run? Tanya? I... Think the ultimate line sits with yourself and your own well being. I think there are many really positive changes that you can bring, even not as a very senior formal leader within an organization that can actually support others around you. But ultimately, if your own well being is compromised, uh, th- that's the absolute line Um, and the other piece to think about is, is the values I've certainly found that in my experience if I always come back to my values as a person but also the values I think are really important in my professional life and I use those to make those key decisions about do I stay in a workplace or not, the answer becomes incredibly clear. That's great.
3: And if I may just add, I mean, some level of stress is always there as part of work. There is, there will always be some level of stress, some level of politics. And going back to Tanya, what you're saying, it depends on what extent and how it's impacting you. If it's impacting you physically, mentally, impacting your personal life, then that's where you draw the line. And potentially also... Is, is the culture bad in a small group or has it permeated throughout the organization? Because if it's in a small group, at least you know you have stand some chance to change it. But if it has permeated throughout the organization and you feel the entire organization is exactly the same and it doesn't align with your values, that's when you exit. Excellent. Can,
2: can I, I've made some recommendations recently just to friends to say, is there an ability that you can have a collective conversation up the line? So if you're making an individual complaint or you're the only one, it's sometimes not as easy to get the change as if you have a group of you who are having a similar experience. You talked about that. These issues being raised again and again. You know, if you go, there's a bit of safety in the collective but also sometimes leaders have a bit of a light bulb that, are, oh, it's not, you know, I'm having a grown-up conversation about this issue. So, I And I, I expect that people engaged with future women are thinking you know what could I do to change this before I give up and that's what
0: we want everyone to you know that's how change happens that you know unfortunately it does take people to fight the good fight and and go as far as they can because that's what will change the workplace.
4: Testing that in itself is a Bit of a litmus test for the toxicity of some workplaces too. Like I've certainly, again, that hierarchical leadership, one thing that characterises that is every conversation is a dyad. So it's between the boss and one other person or, you know, between two people at a time, whereas once you get to a triad or a bigger group all having the same conversation, the the transparency is greater, the opportunity for things to be being manipulated behind the scenes, and for power to be being you know, abused um, is, is reduced. Definitely. Uh,
0: question from the floor. Thanks to the panel.
1: Uh, my name is Wendy Howe, I'm a public servant. And my question is, what do you do to stop perpetuating a toxic workplace? What if you're not the victim of the toxicity, but
2: you're witnessing it? That it's, it's. I do think we are at a turning point. I think um, we've been at, actually Australia is a slow build on things. Um, but I think we are definitely moving forward. It's not just this three weeks. I do think from 2017 forward, the conversations, you know, we didn't have a big Weinstein, but we did change what people were saying over the dinner table. And there's been a build towards people having a better understanding and grasp of these issues of sexual harassment, particularly. I don't know whether we're clear enough on bullying yet. But having some of that understanding means when you see things happening, you can actually understand it in quite a different way. And that means you, whilst in many cases it won't be, hey, you shouldn't say that kind of moment, it can be having those sorts of going away talking up the line, saying to the manager, or if you are a manager, my one of my main encouragements is start talking about this openly. So I've noticed um, with people in management, my conversation, my question almost every time is, what do you do when this happens? And my comment is, that's, it's already happened. Okay, I can tell you about how you deal with that issue after the complaints come to you, but what are you doing to stop it happening? What people told me consistently across the inquiry when I said what is a safe and respectful, like what are the characteristics of it, they they never once said it was a good policy. They never once said we have a fabulous sexual harassment policy, even though that every time a complaint happens, everyone brushes up their sexual harassment policy. What they almost always said was I'm my direct line manager, I feel comfortable and safe with them, they set the right tone and I know I'm safe to raise it and, in fact, they talk to us. So almost my measure on a good workplace for me would be um, how often does your manager talk to you not just about the task at hand but about generally how you're going at work and if you're a manager I'd really like the examples and often these were young people that I was speaking to, first job out, and they would say, When I started, yep, we have all this training, we have all these policies, induction. But I remember and there was there was one in particular who was like working in a bar or something like that that um, when I started, the manager said, it is not appropriate, but this does happen. If it happens to you, come to me. We're never putting up with it. And so that person said, I just know I'm good. I'm fine with that. Um, so that would be my main, think about yourself as a bystander, but that doesn't mean you have to intervene. But if you educate yourself on kind of what it is, then you're intervening in a you know, a more useful way because you, every single one of us adds to that culture. So we've talked about this as if it's something that happens to us, but we're part of it. That's absolutely right. And being right. the
0: support person for someone who is experiencing it all that confidant is really important. Please join me in thanking our panel, Kate, Sangeeta and Tanya.
1: And remember, that was from one of our live events. And you can become part of the movement by signing up at futurewomen.com. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe. Executive Producer, Jenny Goggin. Sound Production by Darcy Thompson.